We turn to God's Word this morning, and we're um, looking at Psalm 51. Uh, one of the immediate things that I, I think of as I read that psalm is the fact that we begin our service with a, uh, a prayer of confession and preparation. And I've actually had people along the way question that, and why do we do that? Is that something that we need to do? That seems like it's very traditional. It seems like it belongs to a bygone era in some way. And, you know, and, and the new way we do worship, you know, we don't start that way. Isn't it a little bit of a bummer? you know, to come in that way. So we've had, I've had these discussions before, and one of the reasons that we continue to do a prayer of confession uh, is that I believe very strongly that um, it is one of the central ways that you and I keep our relationship uh, right with God. It's one of the key ways that, that we keep our compass pointed in the right direction. And that confession and repentance is not, it, it, it is not just part of our private life, which I think that it should be, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, but part of our corporate life. That as we come to worship, and if we come to give our hearts on the way in the door, we take a moment to, to get our hearts right. And I don't know about you, but um, Jesus said someone who's already had a bath, he just needs his feet washed so to speak, when, when Jesus was washing feet. And that's, in a sense, what we do coming in the door. We know that Christ has, has cleansed us, but we need our, our feet washed. Because I've been walking around in the dirt all week. Uh, and there are ways that we need to prepare. So as we come to, uh, to Psalm 51, it is with some of that in my mind that we, that we read this. I believe that confession and repentance are the way forward into worship and into a richer Christian life. Psalm 51, hear then the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all of my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. It is against you and you only that I have sinned and done what is evil in your Sight, so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me then with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, and O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. I would give it and you would not be pleased With a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and in whole burnt offerings. 
bowls that are offered on your altar. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. That speaks afresh into our lives. Father, as we come this morning, we come as a people who know uh, that we don't get it right. Who know that we stumble and fail. We come as a people who know uh, that we fall short of your glory. Week by week, day by day, even hour by hour. And so, Father, teach us well uh, how to go forward as your people. Teach us the way through the junk and into joy. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus Christ. If you don't have that fixed and your compass is your, your compass and is your thing that you're after, that's what the Christian life is about. Because when we're like Christ, everything else falls into place. We will do all things right. Right? We will be like Jesus. We will live that life that we're meant to live. We're told in the Scripture that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so that is, that is what we're about. That is what we are after. Is that, that change in our lives that makes us more and more like Jesus. In Galatians 4.19, Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Isn't that interesting language? Until Christ is formed in you. In other words, the church in Galatia had kind of gone off the rails in some ways. It's the one epistle, the one letter that Paul writes that starts out on a pretty hard note. Um, doesn't have much praise to say. He comes after him and he, and he says that we're having to start over until Christ is formed in you. Not an image. Again, going back to being like Christ. is something that is the goal of the Christian life is this, that the inner world, that the inner life would be more and more shaped to be like Jesus. So that what comes out of the inner life Right? We, we try sometimes just to rearrange the furniture and the fruit out here, but we find that we... But when, but when we have real change in here, what comes out is different. It's a deep work. It's the shaping of the inner life. It's not just controlling a certain behavior or trying not to, to do... It's actually changing the inner person so that we become the kind of person who doesn't say that, who doesn't do that, who doesn't respond that way. That's a deeper work. It's a transformation of heart. That's why Jesus in Matthew 15, He's quoting Isaiah the prophet as He comes to His people and He says, these are people that honor Me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from Me. You know, they honor Me with their lips. You know, again, outwardly rearranging the furniture, trying to say the right thing or look the right way or do that. You know, and Jesus says, but there's an issue of the heart involved. There's a closeness of heart that needs to happen. A conformity to me in deeper places than is going on. So there's this difference between an outward religious life and inner transformation into the likeness of Jesus. The shaping of our inner person. Now how does that happen? And that's the big question because all of us I think if you hear that, would say yes. You know, the Scripture seems to say that in my heart. If I love Jesus, seems to agree with that. I would, I would like that <laughs> for my inner person to be more like Jesus so that my outer person looks more like Jesus. But it's not automatic. And there are a lot of things that we do for spiritual growth and we know the called means of grace or the means that we pursue from prayer and reading the Scripture, corporate worship and fellowship in ways that we pursue spiritual growth. But I believe that underneath all of those, 
there is something that has to be going on in the heart or it doesn't work. And I would suggest to you that the thing going on underneath, whether it's going on or not, determines how those other things are working, is confession and repentance and faith. Because I can study the Bible all day long, but when it points out things in my life that are wrong, and we, one of like three things is going to happen. One is I do nothing, and so it doesn't work. Number two is that I just say, okay, I'm going to rearrange the furniture. I'm not going to do that anymore. And like tomorrow I try really hard to be better. And the third is that I do actually do some business with God about that stuff that's in my life that He is pointing out. And here in this psalm is a man doing business with God. You know, in the 1970 movie, if you're, some of you will go back that far, love story, uh, some of you have heard tell, you know, it popularized a favorite line or a popular line that we've come to know. There's some characters in there. and It's a love story, obviously. You know, but the guy at some point gets angry and says things and mistreats Jenny, the young girl. And so there's this, you know, you know they get far apart. It's the same story in every love movie that you see. You know, boy finds girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Right, that's the plot of them, like most of them. So they, you know, boy loses girl, he mistreats her, and he runs through the streets, you know, and there, that happens in the movie. Got to get to the airport, got to get back to the girl, and he finally catches her in the street, and he's, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, and she says back to him, love means never having to say you're sorry, and that's been popularized ever since. I don't know if you've heard that phrase. You may be too young. I understand. Uh, you haven't heard that one. So I'm going to give you a more up-to-date one. But there is, I would say, that that did get into the psyche. And people grasp onto that. They like it. But I would tell you this. There's pure sentimentality. And it's a devastating lie. He needed to apologize. He needed to repent. And there needed to be real forgiveness. Not an ignoring of it. We don't have to deal with all the junk. We can just pretend it never happened. It's a lie. One of my favorite shows, and here it is, you can give it to oh, the pastor, watch his TV, what's his favorite? One of my favorite shows, I'll admit it, I, <clears throat> NCIS, right? I watch this, I love Gibbs. You know, he's a great character. He's a guy who lives by rules. He's got like 50 rules, although late in it, he comes up with 51. Sometimes you're wrong. But in his rules, one of the rules is number six is never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. And so his team, you know, and this comes out at various points, and somebody apologizes, and he says, you know, rule six, never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. Consciously or unconsciously, there are many here today who live by a similar rule. We rarely apologize. And maybe because it's a sign of weakness, or just because it's really hard to do. We have to swallow our pride. To apologize. To genuinely apologize. Something has to go on in here. To go the low road of, of humility. To say that I'm sorry. And to genuinely apologize. And there are many, and there are many times when I've tried, worked with people along the way where you see one of the core problems is there's not, there's not a lot of repentance going on. There's not a lot of apologizing in deep work. There's not a lot of forgiveness going on. And that's a process that is crucial in relationship. First in relationship with God, but then in relationship with each other. To genuinely repent, we have to be inwardly convicted, genuinely humbled. But we are such a proud people. And I recognize a lot of times I've done wrong, but I'll just come down for breakfast. You know, We'd rather just come down for breakfast to pretend like nothing ever happened. right? But just not talk about that. And that's the way we often deal with what happened. We will just 
go forward. And even though we recognize something is wrong, to go back and deal with it is to say, I was, you know, is to own my junk before you and put myself at your mercy, so to speak, and ask for your forgiveness. It's a low road. But 1 Peter 5.5, God tells us this, God, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to those who are humble. In other words, humility is the way forward. Humility is the pathway to growth, to intimacy with God. God opposes our pride. Think about that. He opposes it. He doesn't just not like it. He opposes the proud. And He gives grace to the humble. And he, so he, he calls us to this. My friends, repentance is a sign of weakness. Gibbs gets it half right. It is a sign of weakness. But his thing, the way you deal with weakness, is to hide it, pretend that it's not there, gloss over it, play the macho, you know, or do whatever, which is where he goes wrong. But it is a sign of weakness. According to God, though, brokenness and humility is the way forward. It's the way to healing and grace and life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you. This is the Lord speaking to you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. Where? In your weakness. So if you pretend you don't have weakness, what's the problem? Right? So he says, my strength is made perfect. My power is perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I will be upfront and honest about my weakness. Why, Paul? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Right? It is right there in our weakness. Right there where you failed. Right there where you got angry. Right there where you got proud. Right there where you got selfish. Right there wherever it was that you got. The way forward and the way out of it isn't to pretend it didn't happen and to ignore it. Paul says, I will boast all the more. I will be, in other words, I will be more honest about them because there when, when my, my weakness is laid bare, Christ shows up in power. And when he says that, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, what does your heart say when you hear that? I read a verse like that. I have a response. Like an inward something that goes on. I don't know about you. Right? I will boast all the more of my weakness so the power of Christ would rest upon me. Doesn't something click in you that says, I want the power of Christ to rest on me? Like there's, there's something there that makes me hungry or thirsty for, for something that I want to exhibit in me. And so I want to go this way. What does your heart say? Because, because of God's grace, it, it is safe to openly admit our weakness. These are the very places that the power of Christ is manifest, revealed in us. Compare Gibbs to Martin Luther. 
And we talked about Luther last, last week, I think it was, with the mighty fortresses, our God, well, the Reformation started. He's the father of the Reformation. He nailed 95 theses, as the story goes, on the church door in Wittenberg, you know, calling for a debate with the church on these issues, and these are the things, and these 95 theses sparked the debate in the church that was the Reformation and created us, so to speak. The very first one, I've, I've told it to you before, so if you've been here for any length of time, the, the very first one, it says, it compare this to Gibbs. Luther says this, number one, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, say you're sorry, apologize deeply and ask forgiveness. When our Lord said to do this, He willed the entire life of His people, believers, to be one of repentance. Where we're always turning away from who we are to who we are becoming. Right? That's the way forward. Every day, it's a way of life of turning away from who we are to who we are becoming, which is to be like Christ. And that is a way of life. That is something that must mark us day and night. You know, every time we open a worship service as a people that we would turn away from who we are and turn toward who we are becoming. Matthew 6, you have that whole context where the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I don't mean to brush by those. <laughs> there, there are deep things in every one. Oh God, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. Forgive us our debts. Right? With my daily bread, I'm asking for forgiveness. Right? Repentance. Repentance, even as we forgive, that that has a, a change and an effect on me. So it is part of asking for forgiveness is part of our daily bread, so to speak. It, and why? Why does Jesus say when you pray, pray like this? Make it a part of even asking for your daily bread, which you get really quickly. Why is part of that that he also says be asking for forgiveness? Right? When you pray, pray like this. This is to be the way when your people, when us as a people come to him, make sure that seeking the forgiveness and the grace of God is at the, the heart of it. And I would suggest again, it is the way forward. It's the way we keep our hearts right. I gotta, I've said it before, it's kind of trite, I don't know, taking out the trash. It's dealing with the junk. But not just, you know, but it's to get it out so that, so that it can be, and we're going to see this in David, so that it's more than just getting forgiveness. It's, it's getting right. That we would get right. Repentance and renewal is doing business with God. And so David, here is a man in the blackest hour of his life. And I've got to believe that. David went through a lot of things. I mean, he hid in caves. He was on the run. He had to pretend he was crazy. To, you know, he, he did all kinds. He had some rough times. But I believe that here at this moment, the superscription on this is, is the choir master saw that David, when Nathan the prophet had went to him and confronted him because he had gone into Bathsheba. And he had committed adultery and, and other crimes and covering it up. And here I believe is David perhaps at the blackest hour of his life. A man who loves God but has become painfully aware of the depths of his sin. What is the way forward? What is the way forward? How do I get out of this? How do I press on to away from what I am to what I can become by God's grace. 
And this psalm is the way forward. This prayer, right? He begins with this cry of mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. This, this bald cry for mercy is the way forward. It reminded me as soon as I read it, I'm like, Jesus had this in mind. I believe that He did. Jesus was saturated with the Old Testament, with Scripture. And so as He's teaching in the New Testament, if you pay attention, almost everything He teaches in the New Testament is expositing stuff that we already had in the Old. Almost all of it. There's not a lot new that Jesus comes out with. And Jesus says this in Luke 18. He tells a little parable. He says, it was a Pharisee standing by himself. He prayed like this, God, I thank You that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Sometimes I feel like we stand that way in church. God, thank You that we're not like the world out there. You know, those adulterers and those extortioners, unjust people, you know, they're, you know, even, you know, we might have certain people in mind, like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm a better man than all of this. And it says, but the tax collector that was standing there, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. Where did he get that? Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. It's the way this kind of prayer starts when you come into God's presence. Be merciful to me, O God, for this is the way forward. I tell you, this is the man who went away justified. Right? He made progress. This is the man who moved forward rather than the other man. For everyone, and here is the thing, right? everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. God resists the proud. Right? But the one who humbles himself he will be exalted. This is the man who comes out the other side of a prayer like this. You know, right with God. And free and clean and clear and able to move forward. Because he's done his business. He didn't bypass it. He didn't pretend. He didn't get up at breakfast and pretend like last night didn't happen. He does business with God. He says, verses 1 and 2, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. Right? Blot out. Wash. Cleanse. His heart is overflowing with this desire to be made right. To be different. He doesn't ask it because He deserves it. Right? What does He say? Do this, He says, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. David doesn't deserve forgiveness. David hasn't earned it. A lot of times you and I withhold forgiveness from each other. Or each other. Because you don't feel like they have deserved it. They haven't, I don't know, sometimes they haven't done enough penance, you know, before I'm ready to forgive you. Like, I'm going to hold, you know, but that's not the way it is with God. David doesn't appeal, you know, I've done enough hard time, you know, will forgive me, you know, I've hurt. You know, he says, no, according to your steadfast love. That is our only approach, my friends. What is steadfast love? And I've told you this very recently. As you do the Psalms, you come across it, the word chesed, the Hebrew word that is God's... It's, it's, it's a loyal love. And it has various contexts, but in our relationship with God, this loyal love is a love that God has covenanted with us. According to your steadfast love, you've covenanted to me. You have loved me with an everlasting love. And so, according to the way that you have entered into a relationship with me, you know, not for me, but for your own name's sake. Be faithful to yourself and forgive me. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 3, we read of this love, the Hesed love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
That's why His mercies are new every morning. They, they never come to an end. They're new every morning. Why? Because of His faithfulness, His hesed, His faithful love that He's covenanted to us. So He hands us each new moment saying, my child, begin again. Every morning is a new beginning because of the way He has loved us. It's the same thing. I believe that First John has in a similar way to all of this embroiled in it. First John, he says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. Right? And this is John including himself. If we confess our sins, writing to a church, so to a church, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. The faithful, chesed, steadfast, covenant love of God. He is faithful and just. Because Jesus has died and paid the penalty for my sin. He is faithful and He is just to forgive. And to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And that cleanse is what David goes after. And it's part of what I want you to see in all of this. It's not just about seeking a forgiveness. David, John, as he writes this, wants something more. David, as he writes this, wants something more. He doesn't just want to be forgiven so he can go about his business. They want their hearts right. They want to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. They want... They want to be clean inside and going in the right way, the right, with a right heart. It's the way forward. More than forgiveness. But inward change. Transformation. Getting back on track where we should be with God. Right? That's what that is about. And so, there is this conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, I know my transgressions. Verse 3 and 4. And I know my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned. Right? There's this, I know my sin. And let me just ask you, do you? Because a lot of times, again, we gloss. We gloss. We don't stand and look. We don't, we don't stand and take the time to deal. We tend to be flippant or to move past things real quickly. Because they're unpleasant. We like to spend time there. But David, he says, I know my sin. There's a conviction of sin. There's a work of God's Spirit. It's a necessary work. It's the way forward. This conviction. It's a self-awareness. There's so many of us who are really not self-aware. Right? To see ourselves really clearly. The way I'm talking to people. The way I'm listening or not listening to people. The way I'm treating people. The way that what goes on in my heart and in my mind, not just before other people, but before God. There's not a lot of self-awareness about where this fits in my righteousness with God. We think more highly of ourselves than we should. David has a deep conviction that his sin is not only against Bathsheba, it's not only against Uriah, but it is against God Himself. And if we understood this, my friends, we would deal with sin differently. See, you and my, my, our problem is, if you're like me, and I'm going to lump you in with me, is that you don't hate your sin enough. Right? And I think that's a lot of it. And one of the reasons we don't hate our sin enough is we can write it off and, and we think of it in terms of fact. I've had people tell me, well, I'm not hurting anybody you know, about what's going on in their life and in their heart. And, and it's like... If we understood that all of our sin, all the things that we did had to do with God, that it was against Him. He had done some things with Bathsheba and Uriah that were wrong, and He did sin against them, don't get me wrong. But Jesus said, whatever you have done to the least of these, you did it to me. 
And if you read Matthew 25, that's the parable of the sheep and the goats. We always, we always quote that in the positive. Right? Because he talks to the sheep and he says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did it to me. So all the good things we do are unto Jesus. But what we miss is he says the same thing to the goats. What all these things that you have done, you have not done to me. So all the things wrong you do or all the things you don't do, he says the same thing. All these things that you've done to the least of these you do to me. So when you sin against your wife, you sin against God, he says. You've done it to the least of his. When you sin against your husband, when you sin against your children, when you sin against your coworker, you know, all the different places where we wrong people and we treat them poorly and we pour out our anger or we gossip or we're all the different places where we do it, he says it's not just against that person. First and foremost, this has to do with you and God. You and God. And when I have that, I hate my sin a little more clearly. I feel less justified in it. Don't you feel pretty justified in your sin pretty often? We like kind of but it's really hard to do that. David wants to be clean. He wants to be changed. He wants a new heart. So he pleads for the experience of God's mercy. Right? Four things. You know, he wants a new, verses 7 to 12, wash me and make me whiter than snow. I want a new experience of your mercy and your grace. Right? And then he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, I want a new heart. I want to be changed within. I want a new spirit within me. A spirit that has been renewed in its hatred of sin and its love of you and your ways. Change inside. I want a new experience of your mercy. I want a new heart within me. I want a renewed fellowship and communion with you. Right? That's when he says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The first question that comes up is there is, can that happen? In the Old Testament, in some ways, it could. In other ways, I don't, I don't know that it could. And there's a whole, a whole sermon right there, but I would say this. I know what that thought feels like. When you're in that place like David is, in the black places of your life where you know and are under conviction, I've had those thoughts. God, cast me not away from Your presence. Take not Your Spirit from me. Don't forsake me. Don't abandon me. I want to be... I want to know You and to love You. I want to know Your presence. I want to be close to You. I want to know the presence and power of Your Spirit because I know there's no way forward apart from, from that. And ultimately, all of this adds up to joy. Right? Restore joy. Restore Your mercy. New mercy. A new heart. You know, a renewed communion to know that You are still with me. And that leads to joy, does it not? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. My friends, Jesus taught us that along with our daily bread, we should pray for forgiveness and renewal. That the way forward then is through self-awareness. That we actually should take stock of our day and take note of those places where the Spirit convicts us. And to not brush quickly by them, but to press down knowing that where I am weak, there He will manifest and His power will rest on me. That there is forgiveness and mercy. It is safe to be weak. It is safe to be honest. And it is there that His mercy comes and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin and renews us in the right way. It is through this is the way forward. We cannot dodge it. 
It's the process by which I believe our hearts are transformed. See, I know what it is to ask quick forgiveness. Sorry, I did. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, we do it real quickly and like, so that they'll quit forgive you and you can just move on. You know, but what if I don't want to actually do that again? Because then the thing is, I do it again tomorrow and it's like, sorry, sorry, you know. You know, and the problem is me. Like, I want to be different. I want to be the guy who doesn't keep doing that so that I brush it off. I want to, and to not do that, I actually have to do some business with God where I learn again to hate my sin and to seek the kind of mercy and the new heart and the new way and, and to seek then genuinely with the other person a, a, a slower forgiveness. Forgive me for the way I've treated you. Will you forgive me? And I, see, I will, I am pursuing God's grace to be different. I don't want to be that guy. Augustine wrote, a person who never wants to ask forgiveness and who fails to do so from the heart does not belong in a religious community. See, I I believe that it is a fundamental habit of God's people and the problem with many churches and the problem with many marriages, the problem with many workplaces is that we're really poor repenters. And so our junk is never resolved. There's never healing. There's never real change. We just stay there. We minimize our sin and we maximize their sin. You think of any situation right now where you're mad at people and the junk is there in your marriage with your parents, you know, wherever. And I can tell you this right now. What you're doing is this. You are minimizing your sin and maximizing theirs. You are thinking little of your sin. And you were thinking much of theirs. Right? This is the way we tend to, to handle it. We go easy on ourselves and very hard on them. But I can tell you this right now, my friends, the way forward is to reverse that. Love covers a multitude of sin. And we need to do more real work in our own hearts. And close with this thought. There is nothing more profound than to be fully known, honestly, Fully known in all your junk. Right? Here is David, fully exposed before God and in many ways exposed before His people. And it could be crushing. But it is right at this moment where God's grace shows up because as God does forgive him and God does create a new heart in him and God does restore him and, and His Spirit abides with David and, and joy returns and David continues in his walk with God. You know, and all of this comes in. His sin has been shockingly exposed, but right at that point of exposure, he experiences God's grace. And I can tell you now, there's nothing more real and more refreshing and more life-giving than to be fully known and fully loved and fully forgiven and fully accepted and fully embraced. God wants this kind of relationship with us. Fully exposed, but fully exposed to His grace. In the moment of his despairing cry, David was nearer to the heart of God than he had been for the months leading up to that cry when he was ignorant and callous to his sin. God resists the proud, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, our God will not despise. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that apart from your grace we are lost, but it is your grace that sets us free to be honest, honest with ourselves and honest with each other. You have said that the way down is the way up. That the low road is the way forward. 
that humility is what you desire in your people. And that the broken spirit you will not despise. Oh, Father, teach us to be better repenters. Teach us to be more real about ourselves and to take the time to clean up our messes. To fix what is broken. To heal where we have created wounds. Oh, and to just be clean and honest before You. Oh, Father, this morning will You create in us a clean heart and restore within us a right spirit that we may indeed press ahead to the high calling that is ours in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.